0: Hello, it's me again, and um, what well, I first wanted to say, isn't God so lovely, and um, I love, I do love preparing for preaching, and I, I really enjoy it, but you always end up thinking before like, oh I hope this is God, I hope this isn't me, you know. Have I got it right? And I walked into the church today and the Bible is open in the front and it's open on a, on a scripture that I'm going to read out, <laughs> which isn't linked to what we did today. And then so much of what Paul has said today in his prayers have been right on with what I'm going to be saying today. So he's very lovely, isn't he? God. Um, right. So yeah, it's me again. So I'm picking up where I left off about two weeks ago and I, we're going into John chapter 18. I'm going to read it from the, um, the New Living Translation, um, because I think it's quite a lovely, accessible translation. So I'll start with that. So this is on now, isn't it? Yeah, wasn't working earlier. Okay. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place, because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. "'I told you that I am he,' Jesus said. "'And since I am the one you want, let these others go.' "'He did this to fulfill his own statement, "'I did not lose a single one of those you have given me.' "'Then Simon Peter drew a sword "'and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. "'But Jesus said to Peter, "'Put your sword back into its sheath. "'Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering?' The Father has given me. So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they took him to Annas, the father in law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, It's better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. The other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, ''You are not one of that man's disciples, are you?'' ''No,'' he said, ''I am not.'' Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who hear me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded. Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, they asked him again, "'You are not one of his disciples, are you?' He denied it, saying, "'No, I am not.'" But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, "'Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus?' Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning, Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone. The Jewish leaders replied This fulfilled Jesus' prediction About the way he would die Then Pilate went back Into his headquarters And called for Jesus to be brought to him Are you the king of the Jews? He asked Jesus replied Is this your own question Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted Your own people and their leading priests Brought you to me for trial Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them he is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We went Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Sorry, I'm just going to put that over there because it's quite big. Now, this chapter is all about Jesus' arrest and sentencing. And this is when the events really start to speed up. You know, Jesus goes from free man to prisoner to dead man walking in the space of one chapter. But I think the main point I got from this chapter is that although on the surface Jesus is the one who was taken captive... In reality, he is the only one who is truly free. And it is the other characters in this passage who are really in captivity. Now, the first character we come face to face with in this chapter, apart from Jesus, is Judas, the betrayer, as John refers to him. Now, he is a really difficult character to stomach, He was in Jesus' inner circle, and he witnessed all the things that the other disciples did, and he heard all the teaching that all the other disciples did, and they all went on to serve Jesus for the rest of their lives. It can be hard to understand what was going on inside Judas' head and his heart. Now, in chapter 17, verse 12, Jesus says, During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me, I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Here Jesus is referencing Psalm 41, verse 9, which says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. And you may remember that in chapter 13, Judas and Jesus share the bread before Judas goes out to betray him. Now some people take this to mean that Judas was always going to betray Jesus, that he was just a bad guy, and that's that. But I have a really hard time with the way that people talk about the characters in the Bible. You know, people talk about how great and good some of them were, and then they come down really hard on the ones who mess up. But I don't think that any of the characters in the Bible are that clear-cut. You know, the goodies have more than their fair share of flaws. And the baddies had good points, I'm sure. Um, There's a phrase in my family, we always say, I bet their mummy loves them. (laughs) Um, But seriously, they were just people, just like us. And I don't think any of us are that clear-cut either. As I was thinking about Judas and his motivations as I was preparing for today, I think I started to understand him a little more. And I realized... I came to the conclusion that he was a man who was completely at the mercy of cynicism. Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus and seeing the things that he did, saw and still thinking that this was a good idea? Thinking that 30 pieces of silver was enough. Now we can't be exactly sure of Judas's motivation. Um, I know that some people think that maybe he was trying to corner Jesus. He was trying to force him into exercising his authority and becoming this like, militant messiah that a lot of people wanted him to be. Some people think he was just motivated by greed. Um, as it says in John chapter 12, verse 6, that he would help himself to the money bag, the communal um, money bag of the disciples. I think maybe 30 pieces of silver was enough temptation. But whatever he was thinking... I feel that he must have been completely overtaken by his own cynicism. And what is cynicism but the absence of hope? I think we've all had times when we have struggled to hold on to hope. And it's a dark and lonely place to be. Judas may look like a classic baddie, a traitor, betrayer, whatever we want to call him. But he is the real loser. In this story. Instead of putting all his hope in Jesus, he turns away and he becomes a servant of the devil. And the devil does not care for those who are in his service. After Judas, Judas, sorry, after Judas does what he is filled, what he wanted to do, what he was meant to do, he is filled with remorse and he tries to give the money back, and he's completely yeah completely enveloped in despair if anyone in this passage is a prisoner it's got to be judas a prisoner of his own cynicism a slave to the devil's plan and the saddest thing is that although i think jesus knew he had long known that judas was going to give up on him i don't think that jesus had given up on judas god gives us free will He shows us the right way, and he lets us choose it. He lets us choose to take it or not. But if Paul, who was formerly Saul, the the Christian killer, could turn his life around and be accepted by Jesus, then I think that Judas could have too. If only he hadn't been so caught up in the devil's web of lies. Now, the second character who comes into focus in this chapter is Peter, bless Peter. If there's any character in the Bible who shows that no one is clear cut, it's Peter in all his clumsy glory. It is Jesus who is taken captive in this passage, but he remains cool as a cucumber. It's almost like Jesus is in charge in this passage. He tells the soldiers who he is, and he tells them who to arrest and who not to arrest. But Peter, Peter comes out swinging. And again, Jesus, has to, he, Jesus shows his composure because he has to tell Peter off, just like he's had to do loads of times before. And then, of course, later in this chapter, there are Peter's three denials, that he ever knew Jesus, just as Jesus had predicted Here I think Peter is showing the classic signs of being held captive by fear. What do many of us do when we're fearful? We lash out, just like Peter does with his sword. And then when Peter is asked whether he is a disciple of Jesus, he again reacts with fear. He tries to defend himself, to keep himself safe. And in doing so, he lies and he betrays Jesus who he'd promised to defend, even at the expense of his own life. Peter escapes physical captivity, but he's, in, he's completely in bondage to fear in this passage. He loses sight of himself and Jesus, and it leads him to feel so much shame. I can really identify with Peter here. I have such high hopes of what I want to do for Jesus. And when I'm in worship, Jesus, he's all I see and he's all I need. And then someone will ask me about God or ask me about my faith and all the words come out completely wrong. Or they'll ask me at just the wrong point of the day, you know, when the kids are really playing up or whatever. It's not very convenient and they ask me and all of a sudden I'm defensive of myself rather than thinking about Jesus at all. I hadn't noticed before, but I was reading this um, in one of my study Bibles. It said that the first two times that um, they asked Peter if he was a follower of Jesus, it's phrased negatively. I'll, I'll show you what I mean. He's asked, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? And you're not one of his disciples, are you? And that seems really familiar to me. I don't know if you've ever been asked a question like that. Something like, you don't really believe in all that rubbish, do you? You're not into all that happy, clappy stuff, are you? Those negative questions. And it is so easy to go with the flow. And before you know it, you've jumped to your own defense instead of his. We're not often trying to defend our own lives, of course, in this culture, thankfully. but. We are often trying to defend our own reputation or our ego or our status. But even so, it takes a lot of courage to go against the tide and to stand up and be counted for Jesus. But of course, there is a happy ending for Peter. He may have been held captive by fear in this chapter and he was plunged into a world of shame. But Jesus reaches out to him when he comes back from the dead and he gives him a fresh start, something I think he wants to give to each one of us. Judas and Peter both let Jesus down in this chapter, and I think the difference between them, which determines their future, is that Peter turns back to Jesus, and he lets him reach out to him, whereas Judas has given up all hope, and he doesn't let Jesus back in. And just gonna drink. All right. So the final final character I want to look at today is Pilate. Now, as the Roman governor who the religious rulers have to go to to ask if they can have um, Jesus executed, it looks like Pilate's the one with all the power. But as you read this chapter, you see that Pilate is completely at the mercy of his superiors and his situation. It was Pilate's responsibility to keep the Jews in check, subject to their Roman rulers. But he also had to try to keep them happy because the Jews were seen as troublesome and a rebellious people was a nuisance to the empire. Pilate is not interested in the Jews' accusations against Jesus, and he doesn't agree with their ruling that Jesus should die, but he goes along with it anyway, because he's not free to act as he sees fit. Jesus, as the prisoner, should be the one here pleading for his own life, but actually it's Pilate who does that for him. Jesus, the prisoner, is calmly teaching Pilate about who he is, about the kingdom, and about truth. He is in control of himself and his future, and it is Pilate who is in bondage to his circumstances, as he is the one who has to act against his own wishes. Pilate is a prisoner of his circumstances, and this is something that we can all fall into. We can see our situation and the pressures coming at us from all different directions, and we can feel powerless to change things. When Pilate asks, what is truth? Doesn't really seem like he wants to know the answer. I think he's questioning whether there actually is such a thing, and anyway, he feels he's too busy and time pressured to be really getting into that kind of debate right now. This is particularly ironic, because the truth, Jesus, is standing there right in front of him. But how often do we bat away the real questions in life, because life is too busy, or our situation is too complicated? So, we've got Judas, who's taken captive by cynicism, Peter, who's in bondage to fear, and Pilate, who is a prisoner of his circumstances. And then there's Jesus. He's completely free of cynicism. He has a hope that overcomes and outlasts this world. He's completely free from fear. There's a quote I love, I've always loved, which sums up his attitude here. And it is, safety is not found in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. And Jesus is completely free from the influence of his circumstances. Earlier, I, I, another week, I talked about how he'd felt troubled, and he did. But he prayed through the troubled feeling he was experiencing, and now he is ready to face what is coming with absolute calm. I think that what I'm trying to say today could kind of be summed up with like a tweaked version of that quote I just said about safety. Something like, Freedom is not found in the absence of obstacles, troubles, restraints, but in the presence of God. Unlike Pilate, Jesus knows the truth. God's word is truth, and Jesus is the word of God. He knows who he is. He knows who the Father is. He knows where he comes from. He knows where he's going and why. And that is why he is free. In John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This confuses the Jews, and they answer, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Jews think that they are already free. They think that their freedom is inherited from Abraham. It's just in their genes. But Jesus is claiming that everyone is a slave to sin. Everyone is a captive. Until they know him, the truth, who will set them free. And the good news is that we all do know Jesus. We can be free from cynicism, from fear, from the power of our circumstances. Whatever it is that's trying to slow us down, whatever's trying to hold us down, we can be free. I love it when I love it when people talk about um, the kingdom of God. Um, I've had a lot of teaching about it, and it's just never—it just keeps on going. And Jesus mentions the kingdom in this chapter. He says in verse 36, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders.
1: But my kingdom
0: is not of this world. And we are part of that kingdom now. We are not dependent on this world for our happiness, our well-being, our hope, our freedom. Our source is not of this world. His kingdom has more than enough of everything that we will ever need. So, yay for us. (laughs) But I know it's really easily said, and we might not always feel that. But freedom is available to us. We just need to keep claiming it and keep praying it until we experience it. But I was also thinking, as I prepared for today, I was thinking about the people who are not in the kingdom. Those who have not, you know, haven't met the truth yet. They don't know the truth. And I was thinking that sometimes Christians can be quite hostile to those who don't believe. You know, we can get defensive and we can lash out like Peter does with his sword. And I was thinking, is that how it really should be? I was thinking that everyone who is not a son and heir of God, who doesn't know that freedom, they're all captives, they're all serving something. But it's not who they were meant to serve, and it's not the one who cares for them. But what does it say about captives in the Bible? I, I absolutely love a worship song, I've played it to John before, I've been listening to it a lot recently. Uh, and it's called, there ain't, no, there ain't No Grave That Can Keep My Body Down. And there's a line in it that I love. And it says, He went on down to hell, and he took back every key. He came back as a lion, and he set the captives free. I love that. Sometimes people can seem so far away from God that we can't imagine them turning to him. But I believe that he is reaching out to every single one of them. And that is how we should be too. I think he sees them all as captives who need to be set free. And that is how I want to see them too. His grace and his mercy are so incredibly, ridiculously generous. There's nothing reasonable about them. We get what we don't deserve and we don't get what we do deserve. And may we never forget it I mean, we never stop offering it to a world who is so in need of some good news. It's just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. I want to finish with re- reading Psalm 107. It's a really special psalm to me, it has been for a long time. And it's all about people who are far off being brought back into the fold. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. For he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love, and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty, and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor, They fell, and no one was there to help them. Lord, help! They cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he broke down their prison gates of bronze. He cut apart their bars of iron. Some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food, And they were knocking on death's door. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and sing joyfully about his glorious acts. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deeper seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed up to the heavens and plunged down again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Lord help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He called the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbour. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. He changes rivers into deserts and springs of water into dry, thirsty land. He turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns deserts into pools of water the dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and to build their cities. They sow their fields, plant their vineyards, and harvest their bumper crops. How he blesses them. They raise large families there, and their herds and livestock increase. When they decrease in number and become impoverished through oppression, trouble, and sorrow, the Lord pours contempt on their princes, causing them to wander in trackless wastelands, but he rescues the poor from trouble and increases their families like flocks of sheep. The godly will see these things and be glad, while the wicked are are struck silent. Those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. I'll just finish with a prayer. I thank you, Lord, for you. I thank you that the greatest joy and the greatest peace and the greatest freedom is to know you and to know that we're not alone. To know that you love us like no one has ever loved us and that you are always working for our good. Thank you that we find who we really are in you. And I just pray for all of us, um, as we struggle with things day to day, you understand, you know what it is to live on earth, you know what it's like to be troubled, but you have the keys. You took the keys back. And I pray that you would help us to, yeah, to reach out for that freedom that you want to offer us. I thank you that you walk with us our whole lives through, freeing us and helping us to free others from the things that would hold us back. And I do just pray for all those who don't know you. Oh God, if they saw you, they really saw you, if they saw what they were missing, I just pray that you would help us to to reflect you out, that people would see a bit of what it's like to be fully loved, to be fully forgiven. And... Oh yeah, I just pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.